Hello and welcome to this episode of our York and in Stigma Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. Here at York and in Stigma, we're all people with our own experience of living with poor mental health, mental ill health, and we're sharing our experiences to help bust some of those myths, challenge negative stereotypes. And today, um, this podcast is part of our series of episodes we're doing on mental health and employment. And today we're actually going to be talking about the cheery topic of what helps us to keep us well <laughs> at work and keeping us employment. So lots of positive things to share and uh, that we hope we find helpful. And today I'm joined by three of our volunteer champions. I'm joined by Hazel. Hi. Dan. Hi. And Lauren. Hello. So what we'll do, as always, we'll just start our podcast with a little bit of a recap and introduction about our experiences, and then we'll talk onto the subject at hand, which is going to be what keeps us well at work, or as well as possible. It all varies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so just to start us off, um, for me, I've experienced poor mental health since primary school age, so from being a child. Um, I've always worked. I got a paper round when I was 13, then I worked in a supermarket when I was a bit older and as a student. And then I've worked in, in various jobs since in engineering, higher education and currently in the voluntary sector as the lead of our York and Stigma project. Um, yeah, and I've done that all whilst living with really poor mental health. This is how I would describe it, for want of a better word. Um, I've had varying experiences. I've spent most of my working life not disclosing my poor mental health and really, really struggling in the workplace to, to hide it and quitting jobs before I got too ill and, and then finding a new one and, and, and all the rest of it. I'm finally in an employment um, with an employer that is really good for me and my mental health. Um, and we'll come on to more about why that is and, and what I think it is that, that helps me to be well in my current job. But before we do that, Hazel, do you want to just give a bit of an overview of your experience? Um, well, I've been in and out of work a lot. Uh, I get jobs fairly easily, don't keep them very easily. Um, I've been in multiple sectors, so I, I started life working um, with my pet. Well, I, I grew up in a farming family, basically, so an awful lot of that sort of stuff. I then went to university, started training as a doctor. That sort of fell apart a little bit. I became a teacher for a while, and then I went into the construction industry, and now I'm a qualified gym instructor and run coach, um, but not currently working. And um, to be perfectly honest, I think I'm here for balance um, <laughs> because um, I'm very bad at keeping myself well while working. But I think there's a lot to learn from that, Hazel. Um, so, yeah, we will, we'll see how the conversation progresses, <laughs> but I think you will have a lot to contribute. Um, but before we get on to that, Dan, do you want to give a bit of an overview of your experience? Yes, I've had um, probably mental health issues since about 11 years old, since primary school, and uh uh, when I was younger, I was in and out of work a lot and actually work the wrong sort of work. And it did make my uh, mental health a lot worse at times. I, I chose jobs that weren't very suitable. And But in recent years, I've been in work that I enjoy and that's, that's been very beneficial to my mental health and confidence and, and my overall well-being. So um, different experience when I was younger, but much more positive in the last, say, 15 years. So That sounds great, Dan. And I'm really yeah. looking forward to hearing more about that and, and what makes it so great, because I think there'll be lots to learn from that. Um, but before we do, Lauren, how about you? Um, I've had various mental health issues, mostly anxiety-based, since I was about seven. Social anxiety, then later on generalised anxiety and, and a bit of complex PTSD thrown in there. Um, that makes it done really casual. Um, um, I've had been mixed experiences in the workplace. Um, I, at the age of twenty-eight, I've got my first ever permanent job. Um, after I've 
and having a serious series series of temporary and casual jobs um finally got a, like a having a, like a really good experience at the moment that's great lauren so quite a few positive experiences hazel we know not so positive um balance <laughs> balance <laughs> i suppose in terms of um i'll just start us off with a, with a few things that helped keep me uh, well at work and i would say at the moment with my current job i've been here just under three and a half years now, which is pretty good for me. I normally make it to four years if I'm lucky. <laughs> Some of the jobs have been a bit less and it's normally by choice. I've always performed really well at work, had excellent performance reviews. I've never been fired from a job, but I've been self-stigmatizing, fearful of what people might think of me, hid- hidden my mental ill health and really struggled. And then for various reasons, ended up getting different jobs or going on to comments or, or this, that and the other. Um, but in my current job, like I said, I've been with with for almost three and a half years now. For me, um, at first, I was very, um, and given the nature of my job, obviously, I run the York Ending Stigma Project. I did mention at the start that, you know, I'm sort of mm, experienced a bit of poor mental health in the past kind of thing, you know, to get the job. (laughs) (laughs) But then as time's gone on, what has really, really helped me is being really open and honest with my manager about the severity of my mental health and how bad it can get, which which for me, um, I do experience suicidal thoughts and I have had them during the past three and a half years. So whilst I've been with my current employer. Um, so for me, my mental health can be quite severe, if, that, if that's the right word. Um, also mixed, I've got, I've got all sorts of different symptoms, let's say, for want of a better phrase. Um, but this is a positive podcast <laughs> about what helps to keep me well at work. So what helps me is being open and honest with my line manager. Uh, It's been a two-way conversation and process. And for me, as well as, I think there can be a lot of manager bashing and all managers don't understand. For me, my manager has got no experience of poor mental health, um, which is helpful and unhelpful in a way, because I get a great deal of comfort and knowledge from you guys uh, as fellow people experiencing poor mental health. But also I get a great deal of comfort and knowledge from my manager who hasn't got that personal lived experience. It's a different perspective, which I do find helpful. But one thing they did say to me sort of fairly on and when I was disclosing about my mental health, they found it really difficult to understand what I was what I was thinking, what I was feeling. I've been so used to for decades masking it. I'm 41 now. So what I did was I went away and thought about this and I've devised a a system and it used to be my manager would be like oh can you tell me on a scale of one to ten I'm like oh god you know it reminds me of going to the GP I was like no no I can't and what does ten mean and all the rest of it so I thought about it and I went away and I've devised a system of colours which has a description associated with it so I can very quickly and easily like my manager can say to me what colour are you feeling today and I can say that colour I know what I mean and they know what I mean. And particularly when I'm unwell and I can't think straight. And on a few occasions, I've had to go back to my own criteria. <laughs> and I don't want to, you know, put the frighteners on and say I'm too unwell if I'm not. And, all, and I would always like play it down. But my manager's got to know all my tricks now. <laughs> but for me, it's been totally, totally honest about my symptoms. I've given my manager a list of symptoms. Um, so they know what to look out for. For me, lack of sleep, major red flag that things are going to start to go a bit downhill. Um, and a whole list of other things to look out for in terms of uh, how I may or may not be presenting in the office. For me, I really enjoy 
going into the workplace. So again, it's a big red flag if I start asking, we've got a flexible working policy, but I choose to go into the office. If I suddenly start asking if I can work from home, this is like a major red flag that I'm isolating myself, becoming withdrawn. And I've been able to be honest with my manager. And there's all sorts of various other different things that we've done, um, but I don't want to take up the entire podcast. Um, But for me, it has been that honesty and also my manager suggesting things as well, you know, and suggesting about flexible working and this, that and the other. We've tried things. But for me, the absolute crux to it has been honesty and reviewing it and what might have worked for a little while. Is it still relevant and all the rest of it? And it's taken me a long time to be more honest. So at first, my manager would suggest things. And inside, I'd be thinking, why on earth are they suggesting that useless thing that's never going to work? And I'd be like, oh, because I haven't told them about that yet. Or, you know, and it's taken a long process to build up that psychological safety. Um, I think one thing that's helped me is I'm on a more longer term contract than I used to be. So I've been on like six months and 12 months contracts. And I'm now on a three year plus contract. That has helped me as well, um, because I've always had this fear of having to get a job reference and go to a new job and this, that and the other. Um, yeah, so lots of different things, um, stuff I haven't mentioned yet, but I'm very keen to hear from you, Lauren, first, should we come to, and then Dan and then Hazel. So Lauren, how about you? Um, oh, the main thing is kind of been, been able to have like two way open and honest conversations with my manager and probably not just my manager, but there's the, it's like three other team leads, which are basically her equivalent, uh, in work. Being able to not just feel safe with her, but with the, the those other people as well. Just you know, if something's going on for me, and it might potentially affect my um, how I am in work, just just being able to take them off to the side and just be like you know this is going on, and them listening, and not trying to do things without me, well without me having my say. Um, I guess. A lot of the stuff that's helped is reasonable, what would come under reasonable adjustments. One thing that has been really good, though, is um, manager, we came up with this thing. Um, we call it, it's going to be interesting to describe. <laughs> um, we call it an emoji key. Um, and we use Microsoft Teams at work. And the managers of, we all have work flexible working system. I haven't got my teeth in today. <laughs> um, and I kind of, we came up with this idea, it was like, how can I tell her that, I'm not been, been doing so great like today if she's not in the office or if she's in a meeting. Um, so I came up with like, I think it was five or six emojis on Teams. And I just like sent them like, on what they were. So we both have a copy of it. And, well, all the managers have a copy of it now. So, and if I come out having a good day, and this also applies to being autistic as well. Um, so like, say like I'm having heightened anxiety, just, like, I have like an emoji so, like I said, emoji, I can't remember what it is without looking at it. But I can just send her that and she and she'll know, like, you know, like she needs to check in with me later on in that that day. So we both know what it means. Um and it also applies to any of the other managers. Um they know to like they know that I can a lot of time I can self manage. Um and the dirt like come I'm not like needing self like pity or anything and just I can deal with things myself quite a lot of time yeah a lot of stuff just comes from being able to have like a honest conversation without knowing without like knowing I won't be judged for like what what's going on for me that day 
Yeah, and it's interesting, Lauren, because it sounds a bit like your emoji key in a way is sort of similar to my colours. And, and you've just reminded me of something as well is, so my manager, we're in mostly in an open plan office, but my manager's got their own office. And I think as well, forms of communication, I can text my manager. Otherwise, you know, you're forever up and down. Oh, are they free? Are they in a meeting? Is their door closed to the office or whatever? And it's just like, it just make I think it's different forms of communication make things quick and easy. So like you said, you use um, teams at your workplace. And again, it's a way of quickly. And for me, I find a text mm. a really quick way um, to communicate. Um, Dan, how about you? What are the things that help you to stay in work and stay well in work? I think it, being able to be honest with my colleagues, um, with my manager, with there are only three staff where I work. So uh, and I've got a good relationship with both of them. Very good. Uh, and I can be honest with them and I can say if I'm struggling a bit and I can have one to one chat with them. So being able to be honest, but and having a job that I find interesting, that I enjoy, I enjoy working with people and it's rewarding. That's helps keep me well. But I don't having a job that doesn't take over my life is also a good thing. I, I've, I've got, having a, a life outside of that, I can work to my hours. The previous job I did, I, I did work over my hours, but this job I can work to my hours. And when I go home, I can do other things that can benefit me working it well. I do exercise, which is very beneficial. have a walk after work, a long walk, and that's very beneficial. I, um, I meet friends, I read, I listen to music, all these things. Having a life outside, being able, this job that I enjoy allows me to have that life outside, and that's really beneficial for my mental health, really. So it doesn't take over my life. I enjoy it, it's rewarding, but it's, and it can be a bit challenging, but it, it's not dominating my life. And I have a life outside that also really benefits my work as well. So, Yeah, and Dan, I was nodding along to a lot of that. I think that, you know, I've had it before where I've, you know, either worked really long hours or I've been so unwell and have been hiding how I feel at work that all of my energy has gone into that working day. And then I've gone home and gone to bed. You know, I've been really unwell. So I think um, what you've said about that kind of work-life balance, you didn't use that phrase, but that's yes, what that springs to mind. Yeah is that is so important. You know, I like to run and to have enough energy to go for a run in the evening after work. You know, it's just, it's so helpful. And just you mentioning as well, in fact, Lauren, you mentioned as well about um, other colleagues. So Dan, you're working in a small team. Hmm. Um, I've spoken about my manager, but there are, just so happens that where I work, I'm in in an office and we sit in banks of desks of four. So the people who sit around me, you know, on those other three desks, also know about the signs and symptoms of my poor mental health. You know, they're colleagues that are friends as well, you know, trusted colleagues. And I find that really, really helpful. And I found over time, um, we've recorded a, another podcast episode regarding employment on masking and the energy and effort of masking and hiding my symptoms. I don't feel I have to go to that length anymore. I feel like I can be more myself at work. And I find that really, really positive and helpful and I think Lauren you touched on it when you've said about you're not wanting sympathy you know and again I, I've mentioned about you know mental ill health it's not an excuse for being a rubbish colleague it's it for me it's I want to do a good job I want to be employment in employment my colleagues want me to do a good job they want me to be happy you know we're all aiming for the same thing here and it, it's things that can be helpful Hazel, we haven't heard from you yet. Um, I know you said you feel like you're here for balance and you've not <laughs> had these experiences, but it would be really, well, one, I mean, it'd be interesting from different sides. Things that have happened to you when you have been in employment that have maybe been really unhelpful. So things from anybody who's listening, who is a colleague or a manager, 
um, you know, what stuff you found unhelpful? And has there been anything whilst you have been employment, even if that employment hasn't worked out, that has helped at all? And if not, anything that kind of aspirational that you would love for employers to do? So three questions in one, <laughs> but you just go for it with whatever springs to mind. Well, I think there's a reason why only 8% of people with my illness are in paid employment, put it that way. Yeah. Because quite often stress triggers it. Um, not only stress triggers it, but the medication makes going to work really difficult when it's really hard to get going in the morning when you've got a medication that basically sedates you. The symptoms can be so unpredictable from one day to the next. On some, one day, I may appear perfectly fine. On the next day, I may be completely innocently incapable of leaving my house because I believe that someone's watching me or... I believe there's trackers inside my body. So it's very difficult and very unpredictable, which I think really makes it difficult to maintain employment. But having said that, I also probably don't help myself because when I enter employment, I'm so desperate to not look ill mm -hmm. that I will overcompensate by working all my extra hours, working faster, taking on more projects than I probably should. And the big big thing that I do that I really, really shouldn't do is I leave treatment because I'm so scared of asking for time off for like therapy or psychiatry appointments. And to be honest, these take over my life. I mean, I see these people quite a lot. Yeah. And then the medication, as I say, means that my brain isn't working until maybe 10 o'clock in the morning. And how many jobs can you get where, you know, got that amount of flexibility? And there's another medication I'm meant to take at midday. There's medications I'm meant to take as and when, depending... And I don't want people seeing me taking them. So I don't help myself because when I'm in employment, I feel almost pressurized to not be ill to the point where I will stop doing the things that I you know, have yeah. to do to be not ill. <laughs> but I would say, Hazel, it's kind of you're saying you don't help yourself, which I think is a bit harsh. <laughs> um, you know, I think I would maybe describe some of it as self-stigma. Self but also I would say societal stigma you know, is a contributory factor. Because if you feel like you can't do something because of other people's judgment and seeing it, to me, that is society stigma. It's not just you. So I think in a way, it sounds like a message to employers would be if they're not already got an open and honest workplace culture when it comes to mental ill health in the workplace, is actually having that culture, having some training, having some understanding. I think flexible workplaces, I'm not totally sure because, you know, we hear a lot about it in the media and sort of as we come out of the COVID pandemic and things like that, workplaces being a bit more flexible, but I don't know how true that, you know, really is. But maybe, you know, workplaces where there seems to be a lot in terms of presenteeism and people being there, but maybe if the world of work was a bit more task-based and if you get X task done by, you know, in six weeks' time and you could do that at whatever hours to suit you and if that oh, meant that'd be awesome. having three days <laughs> off and whatever, like maybe the way of the way of work is like, you know, what is a business trying to achieve where so much seems to be on, getting every ounce out of somebody and go harder, faster. And, and one thing that's really, really helped me and it's so unusual is because I've got the same, very similar tendencies to you to go at 100 mile an hour, get things done, overcompensate, work too hard, work too long. And uh, my manager is actually brilliant at recognising that and knowing that it will lead to burnout and me potentially being off and we want to avoid that. So my manager constantly is telling me to slow down, look at my diary management, what's in there. And it's been a really tricky and long process. But I found it really helpful. But in a way, it's because I've had permission <laughs> to slow down so it almost sounds like that may, I don't know, be a helpful 
course of action for you? I just don't know, Hazel, but... Theoretically, I mean, I've not tried it yet, but in theory. But from actual experience, there are two times that I have maintained a job for longer than my average. And there is one common theme in these two jobs, is that in both cases, my... I mean, just to add an extra glow of complexity, as long as I have a mental illness, I'm also autistic and have ADHD. Yeah. Which causes communication issues. The communication issues cause stress. The stress triggers the psychosis. It's all a big snowball. But in these two jobs that I did last for over a year, the only two jobs in my life, and I'm 35, <laughs> in both those cases, my direct supervisor had an autistic relative and basically acted as my communicator and translated stuff gave me jobs in a drip-feeding manner, didn't make me change tasks too quickly. If I had to change tasks, he'd give me warning. He just... Well, I say he... he was, was, they were both male. I'm saying he is if it was one person. It wasn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> in both cases, they just... They knew how to communicate me and they knew how to make it a low-stress environment for someone who is autistic, which I think made me less stressed and therefore put off the triggering of the psychosis. Yeah. So maybe it is a case of if I find the environment that's less stressful for me, more communicative, com- easier to communicate in my communication style, uh, etc. Maybe be fine, but I, I haven't tested this out fully yet. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's so helpful for you know employers who are listening to this. Is you know people are missing out on valuable people, valuable skills. And from what can be fairly easy things to adjust and change. And I think communication is a massive factor, which has just reminded me, Lauren, something you've um, mentioned oh, way back when we've done a different podcast episode is about communication cards. And I wonder if you want to talk about those <laughs> and explain what they are. Yeah, um, it's not an advertisement for anybody says anything. Uh, <laughs> not a commission. Um, <laughs> Um, I have some communication cards um, from Stigma Communications. And they're really good because they don't... A lot, of, a lot of communication cards for adults, they come across as like really childish, but Stigma Communications are quite good. They're quite funny with the pictures. Um, I mean, I have episodes of becoming non-verbal for our... our um, what's it called? Situational mutism, which is where if I have like periods of high stress or heightened anxiety, I, I just... The ability to speak just like leaves me temporarily, um, and these come in real handy. Um, and I've like my my manager and the rest of the team leads, and a few of my colleagues know like about them, and know like what they mean. But yeah, you know, they're really good like fallback, and having that fallback that does reduce like st- stress levels quite a lot. They just say things like. Um, I'm just trying to think, what was it? <laughs> well, whilst you're thinking about that, I'm just yeah. I'm just going to describe to our listeners, because I've, I've seen them. So they're kind of laminated, about the size of a mobile phone screen, I'd say. Um, they're on a bit of a key ring. So you've got several different cards, haven't you? So they will say different things on, which I know you're having to think about what they say. Um, so it's something you could either have on your, your work lanyard, if you've got a lanyard. Um, yeah, so in terms of things that they say, Lauren? Um, so things like... Um, I have an autistic spectrum spectrum condition, um, and this, it's a bit more like this, this is just it's like things like I I, I'm, I don't make eye contact, which I don't. Um, 
And just like magic, Hazel has produced one. <laughs> <laughs> so Hazel, so uh, although not in employment currently, it, again, it's a communication tool though, that you do use. Life. So that's okay. Just everyday life um, yeah. in shops and eye on the bus and things. Um, yeah. Um, I'll just read what's in the autistic one. It says, well, get, I have an autistic spectrum condition while well, getting on with my life. I may become overwhelmed by bright lights, loud noises, or strong smells, stressful or unfamiliar situations, unexpected changes or problems. When overwhelmed, I may find, ugh, I may find it difficult to communicate, ironically, <laughs> <laughs> need extra help or need to remove myself from a situation until I'm okay. So basically, it just tells you everything without needing to say it. Yeah, and just um, just you hearing that, and I know um, autism isn't a, a mental illness, but I think for mental illnesses, poor mental health, however we can describe it, different things affect us. And just to hearing you read out that one about bright lights, noise, boy, can a communal office environment be a contentious place to be whether you've got air con you haven't got air con someone wants the window open they don't want the window open someone's talking really loudly on the phone um bright lights it can often be those like um you know like fluorescent lights oh, is that God. the right i mean <laughs> those are the bane of my existence i mean those things um what is it the glare filter it doesn't actually exist i think it yeah um not good for migraines but are the, is there anything um, and Dan, we've not heard from you for a little while either. Anything in terms of office environment? So, so for me, like I can be terrible and not taking breaks, but going out for a 10 minute walk is so beneficial for my work productivity, my demeanour in the office, my mental health. So uh, colleagues that I sit with will say, oh, have you popped out yet? Or and I will say as well, I'm, oh, I'm going to go and make a hot drink. Literally an hour and a half later, the person who sits opposite me will be like, did you get that hot drink? I'm like, oh, we're going to go and do it now. So just those little reminders. And just looking out for each of those colleagues massively helped me. Um, Lauren, you look as though you want to add something. Um, yeah, there's just, um, I've got a pair of like noise cancelling headphones that oh, I yeah. did get through at, for access to work, which I'm not going to go into at this point because that's on another podcast, yeah. um, which... They just help me focus quite a lot. And I actually made myself a sign, which is, um, it gets to the point. And it, although it, some people could say it's rude, but it kind of it's just like basically says, go away because I'm concentrating and I can't hear you when I've got my headphones on. And um, I can't get any work done if people distract me. I get easily distracted. I can't help that. Yeah. And it really, it, when people come and distract me, it takes ages to get back concentrating. And it, and it makes me feel like I haven't done any work. Which in turn makes me go, oh my god, they're going to sack me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think this variations is, on that. I think this is a common thing amongst us as as your Kenny Stigma champions. This like irrational fear, I would say. And yeah. when I'm talking about stuff, I've never been sacked from a job. I constantly worry about getting the sack. Like, uh, yeah. And Dan, you're nodding on that. Do you want to uh, add anything to that? Yes, I do. I, I, I sometimes feel a bit paranoid. I don't suffer from paranoia, but I feel like I'm not doing, maybe not doing enough, good enough job. I'm not working hard enough. Uh, other people don't think very much of me. And I do get those sorts of thoughts in the workplace, you know, but uh, I'm better now. But I have in previous years got those sort of thoughts. So uh, I find one thing that, also helps with my work is that flexibility having a lot of flexibility about i mean i had to go i had a problem with my eye and i went to the optician the 
during work the other day and my employer said, well, don't you don't have to make up the time. That sort of attitude that you can sort yeah. of have a flexibility. Maybe you might come in a bit later or something. Or that, that this general flexibility about working practices, is, it makes a big difference because I have been in places where it's been very rigid and been oh, no, yeah. no flexibility. And just having that... They'll make adjustments. They'll be flexible. They'll adapt to you. That that makes a huge. Both my pre- previous managers have had that attitude that they'll try and accommodate, fit me, fit the, the work will try and accommodate to me, and, and they'll make a, a, a adjustments. And that makes it, that attitude sort of makes a huge difference, really. You know, and I think it increases productivity. Yeah. I'm sure there's research that backs that up. Whereas the kind of traditional kind of view of manager versus employee and employees always trying to do the minimum and all it's so outdated and it's great to hear that your employers got that um very flexible mm. attitude um lauren you look as though you want to add some <laughs> me again <laughs> um yeah i think emma i think you just touched on this um i've kind of got it's kind of like a reason for something it's kind of not at the same time it's if i'm like really struggling with anxiety or something and i have this thing where I can just clock out for a bit and just go and either go for a walk outside and go just go and sit for a bit to like get myself together and that's sometimes that's just what I need to do because before it's like well you need to go home it's like well how about asking me first yeah. Like I, I know I could take a break if I need to at any time with the work. I know somebody's not going to be chasing me down. The, like in some jobs, say, wherever you go, away. <laughs> yeah. No, I could just work. I know knowing that makes a big difference that you can just take a break for five ten minutes if you need to. So my version of this is hiding in the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> and I just have to say, Dan, like what I find is stuff is really preventative. Mm. So I think some employers might think, oh, it's going to be time consuming, it's going to be expensive. You know, putting in any kind of adjustment for somebody who's mentally unwell. I get masses of reassurance out of knowing I could go and speak to my manager. I could go and take a 10 minute break. I could do this. I've got some choice. I've got some autonomy. And as a result, I usually don't have to use it. But equally, when I am really unwell, they haven't just said it to kind of keep the peace. They're serious and they mean it. And I can have a longer lunch or I can, you know, if I need. And again, I very rarely do because it just is. It's kind of almost that reverse psychology really helps me to stay well yeah. yeah it's like knowing you just have i think it's what, what you could call it knowing you have an, like an out ball or an escape that's kind of that helps a lot more my, probably maybe a lot more than the actual thing itself yeah. i guess i mean hazel just to come back to you so you mentioned about having those two managers who almost in a way had some sort of lived experience or were close to somebody who had and found that helpful is there anything else? And in terms of like we've spoken about, we the three of us um, with Dan and Lauren, office-based jobs, clearly there's lots of types of employment out there. In the past, I've worked in engineering. I had a year on construction sites, a very different type of work. You know, people work in retail, hospitality sector. You know, you've got to be in the store at the time you've got to be in. You know, flexible working works for some industries, not for others. But in terms of your experiences, Hazel, has there been other things that have worked or things that you really just wish that employers would do or understand? Well, for the last 10 years, I've worked in construction. Well, I said the last yep. 10 years, the last two years, two and a bit years, I've not worked at all. But <laughs> I was working in construction before that. Yeah. So I think it's quite different to working in an office. I never worked in an office. Yep. Um, I was a teacher for a little bit. That's probably the closest I've got. And that's still not really working in an office. So obviously in construction, I can't work from home. That's just yep. it's not an option. I can't take the building with me. <laughs> 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 just, just not how it works. Yeah. Um, 
And when you're working on sites, there's all sorts of laws about what hours you're allowed to work between because of noise. So you've pretty much got to get there as soon as you're allowed to work on the morning because you can't really work that late unless you're in the middle of nowhere where they have different laws. But as a general rule, you've got to finish at a certain time because of noise issues. Mm -hmm. And that is quite difficult when, as I say, you're on a medication that means that mornings can be hard. I mean, before medication, I was a morning person. (laughs) I'm definitely not one anymore. Yeah. Um, when I worked in workshops, though, which is my preference, if I'm honest, I much prefer working in workshops, I have in some cases managed to get a little bit more flexibility. It's because they don't have that rules there of you know the hours. So I worked in one a few years ago where the workshop was open 24 hours a day and it had three different shifts. So it worked constantly. And technically I was on the day shift, but they did have a little bit of wiggle room of I could like say start two hours late and finish two hours late because the workshop was open. So yeah. it was all right. Um, it did take a lot of internal bravery and guts to go and ask for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the problem I have is things probably would be a lot easier if I felt able to disclose and to ask for things. But the word psychosis is not very palatable. And I know it may be a little bit of self-stigma, but it's also just reality. People are scared of that word. Yeah. There's been cases where I've said that I've got anxiety before because in my mind that seems more... I mean, it's not a lesser disorder in any way, shape or form. I'm not doing competitive suffering. But in people's minds, it seems to be more palatable. People can understand what that is. Whereas when they hear psychosis, they think dangerous. Yeah. They think unreliable. They think those people don't work. What the hell are they even here for in this interview? So, yeah, I mean, some of that's my perception. I accept that. <laughs> but also some of it's past experience. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, and and I can't imagine as well, as far as I'm aware, I've never experienced psychosis. I couldn't imagine being in employment and living with psychosis. I think that in itself, it, in a way, is a skill. <laughs> you know, I think what, what you do, Hazel, and in terms of the work you've been able to ha- to do, and it sounds as though you've got so many, you know, um, what's the word, transferable skills you know, you've worked in construction. I know you've mentioned before you're a, you were a cabinet maker. You can do furniture restoration. You're a qualified gym instructor. You've got all of this stuff going so this on. This is the ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> I switch a lot. Yeah. I'm a chronic job hopper. <laughs> but you've got so many skills. And it is such a shame that employers are missing out on it and that employers haven't got the flexibility that you need. Um, so I think although things have, have come a long way certainly since I started working there's still a heck of a long way to go and I mean it's taken me as easy breezy as we're talking about it so for Lauren and Dan and myself for me I didn't say anything to my employer straight away it's taken a long time I've drip fed stuff and kind of like like you said Hazel in a way it's played down things not quite mentioned things and it's taken me a long time to get to that psychological safety and I still don't know we're going to do a whole different podcast episode on disclosure and but I've never disclosed at the start of getting any job if I had to get a new job tomorrow I still don't think I would disclose because I still believe there's so much stigma out there and for me personally, I seem to be able to somehow get so far through a job without any kind of adjustments or support or whatever. And I feel the need to prove myself and then kind of get that good backing and then be like, and now I can tell you all the stuff that's in inverted commas wrong with me. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like I'm lying and I feel this immense guilt as well. So I think, and that doesn't help me stay well in work. So I think for me in an ideal world, I could be totally honest and upfront 
Um, and to be perfectly honest, the more we do this work and the more we get about in, in York, the pro- I probably won't be able to get another job in York without somebody <laughs> knowing because <laughs> I talk about it publicly. So in a way, that will weed out the employers that really do want me for me or, or not. But for me, it's certainly my current job is one where I feel really happy. Although I've mentioned it's an office job, it's really varied. I don't think, like Lauren, you've mentioned um, previously having a scientific career, working in a laboratory like I know that would not be suited to me. I like to have variety. I'm out and about. Obviously, we have um, meetings about volunteering stuff and our projects that we're doing. We meet in different places. You know, I'm not chained to my computer at my desk um, for the five days a week. Um, so I think for me as well, I relate a lot to what you said, Dan, about meaningful work, purpose. Um, I think security of job contracts, which isn't necessarily very secure in our in the voluntary sector. Uh, but at the moment, I am on a three-year-plus contract. That really helps. Um, so I think there's there's lots of things that do help, but it's not been this easy journey. And I think as well, there's an awful lot of stuff that my employer does for me, but there's also an awful lot of stuff I do for myself. I've done a lot of self-work. I use various hobbies. I use apps on my mobile phone, a whole suite of different things. A couple of you have mentioned medication, like there could be all sorts of different things that we all use. So I think it's it's quite complex, isn't it? Um, but is there anything that you haven't mentioned yet or you want to add or any message to employers about what is helping you to be in work, stay in work or for you, Hazel, what would help you get into back into the workplace? Um, anything anybody wants to add? Mm. Please don't put people in a box. Basically, yes. well, literally. I feel like you might get arrested for that. <laughs> um, but well, literally and figuratively, like, don't try and change people. Um, yeah, people. I think it always comes back to like psychological safety and trust and that kind of thing. I know I've got another podcast about it, but yeah, if people can be themselves more, I'll do that. This is like an ideal world. And I'm fortunate enough to have like a good experience now. Um, But yeah, if people just give, well, give give people like other people a chance. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we're all human. Lauren, something you've said, maybe, you know, here at York and in Stigma, we don't ask anybody to have a diagnosis, prove a diagnosis. You know, it's what our experience means to us and what our experience is. And I think in some um, employers, it's kind of like you get asked for that bit of paper and that official diagnosis or this, that and the other. And it's like, well, can't you just listen to me as a human being? This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is how it how I experience the world. And this will is what will help me be a better employee. You know, please help kind of thing. Whereas I think the legalities, HR, mm. um, I know on a different podcast, we're going to talk about occupational health. That's a whole different thing that we've had different experiences <laughs> with. Um, mostly negative. Um, <laughs> um, but I think what you said, Lauren, about, you know, not p- p- putting people in box is not labels as well. Yeah. You know, if somebody comes to you in your workplace and says, Either they might use the word I've got a diagnosis of or they might say I've got experience of or I live with or whatever language we want to use. And then they state the thing, whether it's anxiety, depression, psychosis, whatever it is. We're all individual. And I think, Lauren, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I've 
witnessed it and overheard it before in way back when in previous employers where people get labeled as that that diagnosis and it's normally through ill-informed sources something that's been in a film or and i can only imagine hazel when if you <laughs> ever mentioned the word psychosis in the workplace what people what image might come up to the uneducated and uninitiated mind and um, but yeah lauren i really agree with your point there um we're all individuals and things change over time yeah. also day to day things are going to vary for us like two days i can be very different one day i can i'm probably gonna have no anxiety whatsoever and on another day if i've not had like that much sleep i can have like really high levels of anxiety and, I'm, and it just, my face will just be like please leave me alone yeah dan is there anything you've not mentioned or had chance to say or anything you agree with disagree yeah, with well, um Lauren was saying about sleep's important. Obviously, yeah. If you, I notice, I tend to. If I'm not sleeping very well, I'll struggle at work. So that's very important. Sort of looking after yourself outside of work is important as well. Not just so that you feel well in work, you know. So, uh, but um, yeah, it's. Been, I think just reinforcing the things we've said about the flex flexibility of work is so important and being able to talk to colleagues all these things that some people don't have in the workplace but they're so important those sorts of things you know yeah yeah thank you dan hazel anything you've not had a chance to say or anything you want to add um well i've not had the same experiences as everyone else because of the nature of my illness in part but I think for me, the most important thing would probably be flexibility and being able, feeling able to ask for things like flexibility. And the other thing that has taken me a very long time to realise is full-time work is not like the be-all and end-all. Yeah, It is perfectly fine to work part-time. And I know, I know inside that if I was to work part-time, I would probably last a lot longer at a job. Yeah, But I've got this sort of society image in my mind of if I work part-time I've somehow failed oh gosh which I know is wrong I do yeah. know that is wrong but society does not agree with me always that it is wrong so yeah I think from the job sort of side of things flexibility and communication is really important but from a personal side of things knowing your own limitations and accepting that it's okay that the illness is limiting you it's not a failure is been something that's taken me a long time to do and I'm only just coming to terms with it now I think and I think that's a really really important point Hazel and a, as a fellow person who was I've said, used the words before um, denial and wishful thinking denial of the severity of my poor mental health and wishful thinking that I was just it didn't exist my poor mental health and and that has held me back so much not you know self-stigma and not being open and honest and I think that's a really important point, what you said about the part-time work. The only thing, um, I think my mental health, would be, if I did a four-day week, I think my mental health would be better. I can't financially afford to. I live on my own. Yeah, yeah. You know, issue. society, um, which we haven't got time for. And I was about oh. to go down a whole different thing. But I think at that point, it's probably a suitable point to, to stop. But I do think, you know, we don't do that false toxic positivity. You know, Hazel, I know you said at the start, you feel like you're, you're, you're just here for balance or whatever. <laughs> I think it's so important that the reality of living with severe mental illness, serious mental illness, however we want to say it, that is a reality. And we're not going to gloss that over and pretend that 
everybody is magically suitable for full-time office work or whatever it might be. So it is important that we are honest and realistic. At the same token, at the same time, I think it's so important to challenge some of the kind of negative stereotypes. And in terms of Dan, Lauren and myself, we are working. I know Dan, you and I, we work full-time. Lauren, you're four days a week. And it just goes to show we can be really, really valuable employees and contribute and find meaningful work. Um, But we certainly don't want to give this false... And it's not easy. We've had our rocky road to get there. (laughs) And it's an ongoing... There's nothing wrong with voluntary work. No. You're not getting paid for it, granted, so it does make a financial issue, but you can still get some of the same things from voluntary work you can from paid employment. And it's not lesser. It has meaning. It has meaning. Yeah. And often less stress. (laughs) Yeah. And I have to say, as someone... I've pretty much, for a lot of my life, volunteered... When I've become unwell, I will always prioritise my um, paid employment, particularly when my mental health is bad and I'm really, really struggling. But actually, volunteering is something um, that I get a lot of benefit out of and it's something I've sort of regularly or regularly-ish done throughout my whole adult life. Um, I did. uh, When I was out of work when I was younger, I did a lot of voluntary work and it helped to keep me well. It it was work I enjoyed. It it really kept me going. You know, it's ultimately I needed an income, but it was... It really sort of gave me a purpose, gave me gave me satisfaction, really. It made a big difference for, for a number of years when I was out of work, doing voluntary work. It just kept me going, really. Yeah. And I think as well, skills. Um, I know because you're volunteering for your Canyon Stigma, I know what amazing people you are, what amazing skills you've got. For anybody listening who's never volunteered, never, there can be this image of a volunteer being retired to a charity shop or something. yeah yeah and there's nothing wrong with <laughs> that nothing wrong and with that, charity but... shops need volunteers to, to run but that is not just that, that's it? it's not just that so i think there's all sorts of different so again anybody listening who is maybe struggling with your mental health looking to get into work looking to get skills onto onto your cv that's another positive um approach um to do but we're all different um and we've got to each find our approach that that works for us but it's been really fascinating to hear from the three of you what helps to keep you well in work um or hazel for you as you try to get back into work and things that have worked in the past um i hope our listeners have found that interesting as well what works for us may or may not work for you we're just simply sharing our experiences in the the hope that it, it may help um on, on some level but we are not you know we're not magically cured. So take from it what you will. Um, but thank you so much, Hazel, Dan and Lauren for sharing your experiences today. Um, thank you to our listeners and we hope you found it helpful. Thank you.